This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. All the day long, praising my Savior and praising my Savior all the day long. Father, we come. God, we pray that your story would be our story. That, Father, in this room you would find Noah's and Enoch's and Esther's, and Ruth's, and Gideon's, and Paul's, and Peter's. Father, that one day we would have a story of how you rescued us, how you delivered us, how you saved us, how you set us free, how you made us available to see your power moved. Father, we pray for truth this morning. We pray for your word, God. For the next few minutes, let us just forget everything else around us. Let your Holy Spirit come into this place and have his way with each one of us. Father, our worries, our stresses, all of those we lay at your feet right now. And we just ask, Spirit, come. Move in us. Speak to us. Change us. Challenge us as we seek your will in your name. Amen. You can be seated. For seven years, seven long years for the children of Israel, it never failed, almost like clockwork. When harvest time came, as they began to harvest their crops, they would see a swarm of people on the mountains surrounding what was now the promised land. It's the Midianite army. The Midianites were a group of people who had come from where we know today, modern Saudi Arabia. They were the roots of the Persian Empire. But every year, for seven years, they would wait for the Israelites to sow their crops, to begin to bring in their fruits, to begin to uh, take care of all the things they'd planted. And then the Midianites would swoop down, and Judges chapter 6 tells us it was like a storm, a, a swarm of people. They would swoop down on the Israelites, and they would begin to steal, and they would begin to kill. They would take their crops. They would burn their land. And for seven years this has been going on. And finally, the children of Israel, those chosen people, began to cry out to God. God, why have you let this happen? You see, this has been a pattern for the children of Israel. Uh, going back to the time of Joshua's death, we remember Joshua was the leader that brought the children of Israel that had wandered for 40 years, brought them into the promised land. They crossed the Jordan River, and for about a 300-year period after he died, there was no central leader. Instead of a central leader, they had these military rulers that would rule over areas, and they were called judges. But you see, the children of Israel were called in a pattern. They were in a pattern of, of blessing God and, and thanking God in a time of prosperity to where they would begin to be disobedient. And it started small. They would begin to bring in other cultures into their culture. They began to bring in other faiths into their faith. They began to adapt and adopt. And all of a sudden, Baal worship rose up and Ashtar worship rose up. And as they did, God turned his back on his people. 
because they walked away from him and they began to have times that were difficult, times that were bad. And this pattern repeated itself. And then they would cry out and God would send a judge. He would send a deliverer to come and rescue his people. And that's where we find ourselves. One of these downward times, uh, the Midianite army getting ready to swoop in once again, calling out for delivery, the children of Israel. That's the setting for the story this morning. We're in a series that we're calling Found Faithful. And in this series, we're looking at heroes of the faith. We're looking at people that did incredible things simply because God was with them. Not because they had great strength or great beauty or or great speed or great talent. Simply because God used them. And as we study through this series, we're learning about our faith. We're learning about the power of faith. But we all know that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are saved by faith. It is faith that reunites us and and brings back together the relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. But as Christians, we're called to walk by faith. We're called to live that faith. We're called to allow that faith to be a part of everything that we have. And so this morning, as we look at this incredible story, I want to ask you, where is your faith in regards to being obedient to God this morning? What is it in your life that God is calling you to do that you are not doing because your faith hasn't matched up to your call? You see, the setting for this story, and it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, is the rising up of an unexpected hero. The rising up of someone that you and I would never pick to lead the nation of Israel back. But he's one that God chose. And just like when Samuel was trying to pick a new king later on, and he overlooked David, and God said, Samuel, Samuel, men judge by looks. I judge by the heart. God saw something different in this boy, this young man, and it made a difference in the kingdom. So I'm going to start our story in Judges chapter 6, and and you can pick up if you want to go along. We're going to be reading through the book of Judges. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, and uh, you you may know the story, so I'm going to paraphrase some of it, and we're going to try to learn some lessons as we go along. But I want you to see the introduction to our character, the introduction to our our main uh, deliverer, the one that we can relate to this morning. They've been crying out in chapter 6. They're saying, God, please come save us. And God sends an angel to find a deliverer, not necessarily a deliverer that you and I would choose, but listen to who he finds. It says, the angel of the Lord in verse 11 came and sat down under the oak of Oprah. It's kind of interesting. Oprah had a tree named after her in the Old Testament, but he's sitting on this Oprah tree and it belonged to Joash, the Abzerite. Joash is the head of the house where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but where do you normally thresh wheat? You thresh wheat in a threshing field. He's not in a threshing field. Gideon has taken the wheat and he's gone to where the wine press is. And he's gotten a portable wine press and he's gone out and hid in the woods. And he is trying to press the wheat through a wine press, which is very hard to do. And and you can picture him. He's kind of coward because he's hiding because the Midianites are beginning to mount their army. It's almost time for them to come swooping in. And the angel of the Lord's leaning back up against the, the Oprah tree, just watching him do this. And, and look what he says. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now I want you to get this picture in your head. Here's a cowering teenager hiding in the woods. And the angel of God leaning up against the tree says, God is with you, you mighty warrior. Well, you know what Gideon did? What you and I would do. Who? What? Who? You got the wrong person. Mighty warrior? 
And he begins to look at him and begins to think, uh, you don't understand who you're talking to. I can't imagine the, the, the look on his face as he looked back at the angel and began to think, who are you talking to? Because you see, Gideon was not the poster boy for courage. And he certainly wasn't the one that you and I would pick if it came to being called a mighty warrior, mighty deliverer. You see, what we need to remember from our lessons in the past is that faith always allows us to see something that we can't see with our human eyes. It always allows us to see something through God's eyes. And as God's angel was looking at Gideon, he saw something in him that Gideon didn't even see in himself. And that's so true of many of us in here this morning. You see, before Gideon could recognize and receive and walk in to being a mighty warrior, he was going to have to allow his faith to overtake his fear. Because, see, Gideon was filled with fear. We would call it today a coward. Gideon was timid. Gideon was angry. He was angry at God, we read later on, because God hadn't done anything. He was scared, hiding in a corner. And the angel of the Lord says, you mighty warrior. You see, you and I need to understand one of the greatest hindrances to being used by God, one of the greatest things keeping you and I back from experiencing the blessings and the promises of God in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our community, in our churches is fear. Fear consumes us. They need to understand there's nothing wrong with fear. Fear in and of itself is healthy. Uh, Fear saves our life. You know, if I see a bear come out of the trees near my house, my fear of that bear can save my life. Uh, There's nothing wrong with fear. But fear becomes bad when we allow it to override our faith in what God is telling us to do. See, courage isn't the absence of fear. Being courageous doesn't mean you don't have fear. What it means is, is that you place your faith in something greater than your fear. And whatever you're placing your faith in overwhelms your fear. I love what FDR said about fear. He said, courage is not the absence of fear, but it's making the decision that something else is more important than our fear. You see, we need to recognize that if we are going to overcome our fear that we have in all areas of our life, we have got to allow our faith to overwhelm it. The Bible says that perfect faith drives out fear. And as we open our hearts up to faith, as we open our hearts up to trusting God in everything that we do, fear will be diminished. It may not ever go away. You may always be just a little scared. You may always be a little intimidated. But fear will overtake faith if you're not careful. I like what John Wayne, John Wade said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up and going anyway. That's where you and I are. You see, the key is to trust God to the point that fear overwhelms and that faith wins. See, God saw Gideon as a mighty warrior. God saw Gideon as the deliverer of his people. But before Gideon could step up into that position, before he could realize that promise, he was going to have to get a fear check and really a faith check. He was going to have to examine to see uh, where was more important in his life, fear or faith. You see, because all of us allow fear to keep us from being who God's called us to be. We allow our fear of others to cause us not to step out. We're afraid of what people might think, afraid of what people might say, afraid of what people might do to us, afraid somebody might not like us, afraid that somebody might turn their back on us, afraid that uh, somebody might hurt us with their words. And so those fears keep us from being who God's called us to be. We're afraid in ourselves. 
We're afraid I might lose my job. I I might lose my reputation. I might lose my standing in the community. It might hurt my income if I step out on faith. And you see, those areas of fear keep us bottled up and from being used. And that's where Gideon is. Paul told Timothy, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of boldness. You see, when we allow fear to consume us, it keeps us from being the place that God's calling us to go. Had a missionary friend tell me one time as I was praying for him, they were going over to the Middle East. And he said, Rusty, you need to understand the safest place for my family. It is more safe for me to be in the middle of the mission field in the Middle East, walking by faith, trusting God's will, than it is to be sitting on a couch at my house in Watauga County out of God's will. You see, we need to recognize that God is in control. And when we begin to place our faith in him, fear will be diminished. And we're going to find out in just a minute that Gideon is safer in the middle of the Midianite army, 135,000 men with no sword. He's safer right there in faith, trusting God than he ever was hiding out in the woods next to that wine press outside of God's will. So how does he get there? How does he go from uh, this scared person, letting fear overwhelming, to all of a sudden becoming a mighty warrior? Well, Hebrews 11, where we bounced off last week, doesn't really mention Gideon a whole lot. He's only mentioned once in verse 32, uh, but he's in good company. He's mentioned with David. He's mentioned with Samuel. And just to make Hebrews 11, the roll call of faith is a big deal. But what it does mention about him is it says Gideon, who had a courageous faith, So how all of a sudden when we hear the story of this guy cowering, and Hebrews 11 tells us the reason he's in the roll call of faith is he's got courage. Where do those two meet? That's what I'm hoping to learn this morning. And so we're going to walk through Judges chapter 6 and 7. As I said, I'm going to paraphrase some of this. And I'm going to close after we're through looking at the story with just a couple of lessons. But I hope you'll hear lessons all the way through this story. I hope you'll hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you as we discover how Gideon made this leap with God and how God used him. So as we follow along, I'm going to, like I said, kind of give you a preview and a paraphrase, and we'll walk through it together as we learn how God can help us overcome our fears. So what does Gideon say? The angel of the Lord says, uh, God is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon looks back at him in in verses 13 to 15 and says, uh, God is with me. How can God be with us? If God's been with us, why has all this been happening? It's that anger at God. See, some of us get mad at God. When things don't go the way we want. He says, how can God be with us? He says, how come you hadn't sent anybody to come help us? And the angel of the Lord, I I can picture this in my head. I I always run things through a modern picture. But the angel of the Lord's kind of leaning against the Oprah tree, right? Remember, and Gideon's over here and he's he's ranting and raving. He's saying, how can can this happen? How can God be with us? How come you hadn't sent anybody? And the angel of the Lord says, I am. God's sending you. And I'm sure he winked at him and said, mighty warrior, Right? And Gideon said, what do you mean God's sending me? He said, I'm sending you to be the deliverer of the prayers that you've been praying for. You see, I've told you this before. Don't pray for something that you're not willing to be the means to see the answer to the prayer. See, we like to pray, God, reach this school. God, reach my workplace. God, I'd love for my family to come to know Jesus Christ. God, I want to do something in missions and help these people. Don't pray those prayers unless you're willing to put yourself as the means to see it happen. See, they've been crying out, God, send somebody. And God comes and says, okay, I'm sending you. And Gideon goes, wait, hey, time out. 
I didn't volunteer. You see, listen to me. Sometimes the very thing that is the answer to your problem, the answer to your solution is you stepping out on faith and trusting God. That's what the angel of the Lord told Gideon. He said, I am sending a deliverer and that deliverer is you. And how did Gideon answer? Verse 15, I guess I have to read it to you. I'm sending you and what does Gideon say? Anybody want to take a guess? What did the video say a minute ago? What, did, what, did, what do you think Gideon said in big, big, bold letters? But. It's not a coincidence. He said, but, 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 Lord. Right? None of you have ever said that when God tells you to do something, right? He says, you're going to be the answer. You're going to be the solution. Here he is just a few minutes ago. He's crying out, God, we need to deliver. God, you hadn't sent anybody. And God says, okay, I'll send you. But, 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 but. Gideon goes on and says, but you don't understand, God. I, I come from the smallest tribe. Matter of fact, my tribe's not even warriors. We're farmers. I can't go fight. I'm a farmer. And, and matter of fact, God, you don't understand. I'm the youngest of all of my family. So I come from the least of the tribes and the least of my family. You can't use me. You see, listen to me. God knows your excuses. God knows your weaknesses well before you throw them out there. And he's going to use you in spite of them. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God uses the foolishness of this world, the things that we can't see, to to give himself glory. God is using you maybe because of your butt. Do you understand? Maybe because of that very thing that you think is holding you back, that's the reason God's going to use you. Because when you step over that boundary, when Moses says, I can't speak, God, I'm a stutterer, God said, I'm going to use you to be the speaker for the nation. Why? Because then all of a sudden when Pharaoh's heart's turned, nobody can say, well, Moses convinced him. Moses had incredible speech. No, Moses couldn't speak. He stuttered. God had to be the one that did it. And sometimes God is using you because of your problem, because of your weakness, because of the the excuses that you make. God knows what you're doing. So God answered him, and these are the first steps to overcoming your fear. The Lord says, when he says the buts, the Lord says, but I will be with you, and I will strike down the Midianites together. See, the greatest thing to plug into faith is when you begin to recognize that God is with you. You're not alone. Doesn't matter where you go. Doesn't matter what you see. Doesn't matter your circumstances, your situation. You're not alone. And then God told him the second thing. He said, second, I've got a plan. We will do this together. You know, I I don't like it sometimes because we have terminology and modern terminology is not good in church. Uh, Church people don't always get it. You know, we say things in the church that people that are visitors or guests, you know, they don't understand. We sing songs like washed in the blood. And, you know, if you're a new person, you've never been in the church and we're talking about washing in the blood and that makes no sense to you. And so I think sometimes in the church, we have to be careful how we communicate. One of those things is we always say that we're sending missionaries God is sending missionaries. The church is sending missionaries. You see what the angel of the Lord was telling Gideon, he was saying, I'm not sending you, I'm leading you. Because you see, wherever God is sending, he's not just saying, hey, Africa, go. Hey, Boone, go. Hey, your middle school, go. What God is saying to us when he calls us to step out, when he calls us to do something for him, is come with me. And I will go and take the steps with you. 
And you see, all of a sudden, that little bit of fear that Gideon had began to break apart because he recognized, wait a minute, he's not telling me to go out and stand on a hill. He's telling me to walk with him. He has a plan. Hebrews 13, God promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? You see, when you begin to recognize that God is on your side and that God has a plan and you're a part of that plan, all of a sudden the fear that you had, who cares if people laugh at you? Who cares if you're all alone? Who cares if the community turns against you? Who cares if everyone in school sits at a different table than you? Because if God is for me, no one can stand against me. That's the power of faith. That's the power that overcomes the fear that you might have. You see, when we begin to grasp that, all of a sudden, none of the other stuff matters. And so in verses 17 through 24, Gideon begins to recognize that. And the Bible says that Gideon built an altar and began to worship God. I think at this point, Gideon is beginning to recognize that God has a plan. He's beginning to get a little more confident. And it says he laid down and he began to worship God. But then that night there came a problem. Verse 25, the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and said, Now Gideon, listen, before you can be that mighty warrior, there's a problem at home. You see, Gideon's dad, who was one of the leaders in his tribe, had a community there, all of their extended family living there, had built a temple or or, or an altar to Baal and an Ashtoreth pole, which were the two pagan gods that they had gotten into. He had his little altar to God, to Jehovah, but he also right next to it had a, a little altar to Baal and a little Ashtoreth pole that was to Ashtoreth, the goddess of fertility. And the angel of the Lord said, listen, before you can ever be used, you've got to go clean up your house. He said, I want you to go and cut down that pole and I want you to take down that altar. I want you to get a new calf or a goat and I want you to lay it on that altar to God and I want you to worship God. So Gideon said, okay. He did it that night, which kind of indicates he's still a little scared. He didn't go out in the middle of the day and get the axe out and start chopping the pole and saying, I'm standing up for Jehovah. He kind of slunk out at night and said, okay, God, I'll do it. He chopped down the pole and he tore up the altar and he built up the altar. And the next day, all the people in the community were mad. These are supposed to be God worshipers. These were supposed to be God's chosen people. And it says the next morning, they woke up and said, hey, who tore down the pole? Who who messed up our Baal altar? Who did this? And they were looking for blood. You see, sometimes when you mess with the status quo, stepping on faith, the community will turn against you. Even when they are trying to do it for the right reasons. And they're, they're getting upset and they're getting angry. And you can read over in the story where all of a sudden... Gideon's dad, who has not been a part of the story, steps up in front of him and says, wait, we are trying to defend Baal, a false god, over our god? And he begins to stand up for Gideon. And they said, Gideon's the one who did it. And he said, and I'm proud of him for doing it. Because, you see, you need to recognize, sometimes before God can ever use us out there, he wants to use us at home. Sometimes before we can ever be part of that mighty warrior, part of that plan of God outside, we've got to start cleaning up our house, cleaning up our families, cleaning up in our community, starting with our own heart. And what I love is because of Gideon's faithfulness, his father's heart turns around. You see, when you begin to step out on faith, it affects your whole family. We learned last week from Noah's faithfulness that it affected every generation after his. Because the son was faithful, the father is blessed. 
Maybe that's a key to some of you to step out on faith at home. Step out on faith with your kids. Let them see you being bold, trusting God. Let your spouse see you trusting God. Encourage one another in it. Then verse 33 through 35 tells us that it's all coming together. Uh, It's kind of a transition period. It says the Midianites are gathering on the hill. They have an army of 135,000 people. And so Gideon calls the army of God. He gets the trumpet and he blows it. He says, come on, we're going to fight. The Bible says all the tribes rallied to him and they pulled in 32,000 people. That's a pretty good number. That's five to one odds, right? 135,000, 32, a little less. We can do that. And so he gets the army together. And while they're getting together, Gideon still has a little doubt in his head. And so it says he goes in to one of the barns, one of the carrier things there. And as he's in there, he begins to pray. He says, God, listen, I know you're calling me to this. I know this is what you want me to do. But I'm just not sure. Can you give me a sign? It says he took a sheepskin, a fleece, and he laid it on the ground. He said, God, if you want me to lead this army in the morning, make all the ground around this fleece dry and make the fleece covered in dew. So he went to sleep and he came back the next morning and all the ground was dry and the fleece was covered in dew and he wrung it out. It was so wet. So you know what Gideon said? Gideon said, let me try it again, right? Maybe, maybe that was just accident, right? Maybe that was happenstance. And Gideon even says, God, don't be mad at me, okay? But, but this time, let's try it the other way. Maybe if that was an accident, let's try it the other way. I'm going to put the fleece out and, and, and make the fleece dry and the ground soaked. And so the next day, Gideon comes out and the fleece is dry as can be. And the ground around it and even under it is soaked. And the Bible says Gideon fell on his knees and recognized that God was with him. You see, I think this is the point that Gideon all of a sudden recognized. I'm in. He had doubted, he'd been scared, and all of a sudden he came to this point where God confirmed that he was supposed to do something, and he stood and said, I'm in. And now let me say a couple of things about the fleece, because there's been some horrible teaching about this. Uh, let, me, let me just give you a little hint. God is not offended, and it is not a sin for you to ask questions of him. Okay? Please hear me. It's not a sin for you to say, God, I don't understand this. God, are you sure this is what you want me to do? See, a lot of us have been raised, you don't question God. You just say, okay, God, I'm going to go do it. You see, to question God is a lack of faith. No, because when we're walking by faith, sometimes we get to a place that we allow that fear to rise up. God knows you're afraid. And God wants to confirm to you where you're going and how you're doing it. See, in the Old Testament, they had fleas. Sometimes they cast lots. New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the Bible tells us that no matter what God is calling you to, where he is calling you to, to whatever he wants you to do, he will always confirm it to you. It's okay to say, God, I don't understand. He may give you an answer, and it may be an answer you won't understand. It makes no sense. He may not answer you the way you want, but God will always confirm it. He'll confirm it through his word. He'll confirm it through a preacher, through another person, through a song. You may even get a sign. As you're walking and trying to trust God, God will raise up some way to reconfirm to you. This is what's supposed to happen, and I'm on your side. I think at this point when Gideon got this sign from this fleece, God began to lead him. Say, are we supposed to question God? It's not a matter of questioning God, but God doesn't tell us to check our brains at the door when we follow him. Listen, do you remember what Jesus, the night before He was arrested, and he was praying in the garden. What did he say? 
If it's your will, God, take this cup from my lips. What was Jesus saying? Was Jesus saying, I don't believe you, God. I I don't trust you, God. No, he was saying, God, I I know this is what you've been calling me to. I know this is the path I'm supposed to go. Just confirm it to me. And you see, you and I, some of you are standing in, in a place of fear. And God is showing you signs. And God is sending people to confirm. You're doing what's right. Keep going. Keep going. And you're not listening. Get before God and say, God, confirm to me that this is the path I'm supposed to do. I believe that at this point, Gideon was all in. I believe at this point, he was mighty warrior. So chapter 7 takes us to battle. Gideon goes out with his army. They're gathered around. You got the 135,000 Midianites and Amicalites, and all of a sudden the 32,000 people are there, and God comes to the army and says, Gideon, you got too many men. Too many men? I've only got 32,000. He says, you got too many men. Somebody could believe that 32,000 could beat 135,000. I mean, you guys are tough fighters. Y'all have already defeated half the promised land. He says, you got too many men. Send some home. Gideon said, well, how will I send them home? He says, well, stand up in front of all of them and ask, who's scared? Do you think it's ironic that the guy who was filled with fear is the one standing up in front of an army going, anybody here scared? Listen, I think everybody was scared. You got an army of 135,000 gathered on the hills around you. So they all began to raise their hand. 22,000 people said, we're scared. And he said, send them home. So Gideon's got 10,000 people there. God says, 10,000 people, that's a good number, but that's still too many. Still too many, 10,000 against 135, the odds have just doubled. How how are we going to do this? You see, God is getting to a place where he can trust God and God alone, not trust in his armies, not trust in his horses, not trust in his armor. Only God. God is stripping away everything else. I, I told you last week, the most dangerous prayer that you can pray is God help me grow in faith. Because what happens when you begin to pray that prayer is God strips away everything that you're putting your trust in. Because that's the only way you can grow in faith. And it was pulling away. And so God said, here's what I want you to do, Gideon. Y'all go down to the stream. And everybody that puts their face and lays down in the water and drinks, send them home. And everybody that cuts from the water and drinks, that's your army. Now, when I was a little kid, and they used to do this on the flannel board in, in vacation Bible school, they always made the guys that got down in the water look like, you know, the slobs. These guys, they were always the hairy ones, and they were down in the water face first, drinking. You know, and you had the nice soldierly looking guys that were sitting there doing this, right? But if you study Jewish tradition, Jewish tradition believes that the ones that did the cupping of the water and bring it, the reason they did that is because they were too scared to lay their face in the water and put their backs. They were frightened to death. So they weren't about to do that. So they did this. So you know what that means? That means the frightened ones. I think they were too scared to raise their hand when they could have gone home earlier. And now they're too scared to drink in the water. And so they sent everybody else home. They got 300 of the scaredest guys, too scared to go home, too scared to drink the water, being led by a mighty warrior who was the least of his tribe, the least of his family from the smallest tribe. Now that sounds like a plan, right? Can you get into that? Think about that. Let it sink in. That's the way God operates. That's why when God is telling you and I to do something and you say, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't have to. Because God sees what we can't see. All we're supposed to do is say, yes, I'm faithful. Crazy scenario, now it's time for the crazy plan. God gets getting together and says, I know you've only got 300 guys. Best thing for us to do is let's divide them into 100. 
100 over here, 100 over there, 100 over there. And so Gideon said, okay, wait a minute. You're taking my little bitty army and dividing it again? He says, yeah, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your swords at home. These are some glass jars, and I want you to take a torch with a glass jar and raise it and carry it into the enemy camp. And in this hand, I want you to take a trumpet. No swords, no armor, no horses, no slingshots, no butter knives, torch, trumpet. And you go stand in the middle of the army. And when I give a cue, when one of you gets the cue, you break the glass jars, you raise the torch, you scream, the battle is the Lord's, and you blow the trumpet. That's the battle plan. You see, Gideon could never have gotten here from the threshing floor if God hadn't walked him all along. Gideon couldn't just go from, it had to be a process. But here he was trusting. I can see Gideon going back to his army and going, okay, guys, and they're all shaking, right? We got a great plan. Put your swords up. Okay, put your sword up. Grab a glass jar and a torch. Get your trumpet. We're going. Let's go fight. But the battle went exactly like they had planned. They gathered in the enemy's camp in the middle of the night. They broke those glass jars. They raised their torches. They blew the trumpet. And the Bible says the army was so scared, they began to wake up and stab each other. And kill each other and run to the hills. And what happened after they raised that trumpet? They threw those torches down. They picked up the enemy's sword and they began to slay them. And they killed them to a man. Chased the rest of them over the hill. And it was an incredible victory. After a couple of weeks of cleaning out all the land, Israel was back to being victorious. And the people came and said, Gideon, we want you to be king. He was a scared farmer and now they're crying for him to be king. We want you to be king. And Gideon says in chapter 8, he says, listen, I'm not going to be king and my son's not going to be ruler. The only one that's going to rule over us is God. Faith. Incredible faith. You see, and the thing that gets me is there's nothing special about Gideon. No different than you and I. The same kind of faith. The same kind of trust. The same God. The question is, what are we doing with what we have? He let his faith overcome his fear. There's a couple of lessons I want to give you to end. A couple of things I want you to think about. Just quick statements. When we walk by faith, it'll always change the course of your life. Stepping out in faith, trusting God is always going to change the course of your life. When Gideon was in the middle of that threshing floor, I don't think he probably imagined that one day he'd be the ruler of his people. But by stepping out on faith, his whole life changed. You see, and that's scary for some of you. Some of you, that's the reason you're not stepping out on faith. Because you grew up with all these dreams. You grew up with all these hopes. You grew up with all these expectations. Listen, some of you are 45 or 50, and you're uh, going through depression because life didn't turn out like you had hoped and planned. You see, the hardest thing for us to do as believers is to take all of those hopes and all of those plans and all of those dreams and lay them at God's feet and say, God, I'm going to trust you. You see, we need to exchange ours for his because when you step out on faith, it's an incredible journey and it's going to lead you far differently than where you would have led yourself. Gideon's life didn't look anything like it did when he started. Gideon went from a frightened farmer to the leader of a nation. Let me ask you this, church. What blessings and promises are you not seeing? 
what blessings and promises are your family not seeing because you're hanging on to what you can see and not stepping out on faith and trusting him the second thing to remember is walking by faith will always lead you to total dependence on god by definition when we step out on faith we depend on god and god alone Stop depending on your checkbook. Stop depending on your reputation. Stop depending on what everyone has said about you or thinks about you or your natural talents or your natural abilities. Trust God. Because there's going to come a time in your life, I promise you, when all of those things are going to be gone, all of those things aren't going to matter. And if you don't know how to cling to Christ, you'll never stand. But the neat thing about that place that God leads you is you're always, when you step out on faith, get to be a part of something bigger than you ever would have been before. Gideon got to be a part of a great victory because God called him mighty warrior and he believed him. Can you hear it this morning? What's God saying to you? What's God calling you to? Is your fear keeping you from it? The writer of Hebrews ends Hebrews chapter 11. We call it Hebrews chapter 12. Just kind of flows into it. There's no breaks in the actual biblical text. But Hebrews chapter 12 says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness. And I always love that terminology because what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, See, all these people I talked about, they're surrounding us and encouraging us and blessing us. And I like to think all the people by faith, the great leaders and people through the generations, the William Carey's and the Jim Elliot's, they're all up there surrounding us, this great cloud of witness. And I can remember when I was teaching teenagers one time and I began to think, you know, what's it going to be like when we get to heaven? And I imagined all of us sitting around this big table and, and, and you know, there's Peter and there's Gideon and there's Noah and there's uh, Steve. And they're all gathered around. Over here is Esther and, and Ruth. And, and they're sitting around talking and telling God stories. They're telling stories that would have never been successful if God hadn't shown up. See, Gideon was there saying, listen, I was in the middle of an enemy army holding a torch and a trumpet. If God hadn't showed up, I was gone. Moses says, I was standing on a rock with, uh, you know, 500,000, maybe a million people backed up against this sea with the worst army in the whole world marching down on us. And I just raised my stick. And if God hadn't shown up. And they're all telling these incredible stories. And they look over at me. And they say, Rusty, what's your story? What have happened in your life? That you can say, if God hadn't shown up, if God hadn't shown up. See, if you don't have a story, it means you're not stepping out on faith. From fear to faithful. Let's pray.